Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Morning. Great to see you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and so I want to welcome you. Um, before I go into the time of teaching, I have a couple things to highlight myself. Uh, number one is, you know, a few weeks ago, we did this uh, water well initiative where we only drank water for beverages during the week to say, bring our money back in to see how many water wells we could. Uh, so I'm sure money will continue to come in, but I want to give you a, an update on that. At this point, to give you some context, uh, last year was our biggest year by far. We did this, and we raised on uh, that one week $46,000, which is like huge. It was uh, really uh, big. Well, this year, we're already over that. We're about 53000 already. And uh, man, so, so the beat goes on. It's like this is kind of a season of blessing right now where God is just kind of drawing people, changing lives. Um, one of the things I'm really thankful for is God is just continuing us to shepherd us as a church in the area of generosity and listening and following in terms of our finances for the kingdom. And so we're seeing it, whether it's outreach things like this we're doing or internally here, giving the kingdom here. Uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job. And I just want to thank you for that because it's opening up new abilities to advance the movement uh, more rapidly. So that's number one. Number two is that uh, I don't take a lot of time on this, but inside your program is an uh, Israel insert. You should have received an email from me this week on Thursday that we're starting to plan for our next year's trip uh, to Israel in March of 2017. These trips have been unbelievable. Uh, this will be the fifth trip we've taken this the last couple of years. Um, and God's really meeting us there in a powerful way. They're more of a uh, kind of spiritual retreat than a tour, really. Um, I look at it kind of as an adventure tour retreat. Um, and so we're going through caves and climbing mountains and all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, it's amazing what God's doing. And we just had our reunion uh, for this last group that just went uh, Friday night. And again, the stories have changed lives, uh, not just, you know, in the Holy Land, obviously, in your Bible coming alive, obviously, those things are going to happen. But just how God is meeting people in a profound way while they're uh, in areas very unrelated, even the trip. It's just incredible. So um, if you're interested, it tells you there how to sign up. Um, typically in the past, if you're new, these trips usually fill up in the, either the first weekend or the first couple of weeks, not always, but usually. So um, it, it, this may not be the time. It may be that we've kind of, you know, that that's, we've met the need for right now, but I won't be surprised if I'm coming back a week or two saying it's full. So if you're new, you know, and you're thinking like, well, I'll wait till the summer to decide, just a heads up that in the past, you'd be waiting for two years if you do that. So uh, anyway, uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for this time. So I encourage you to take that out if you would. And then if you guys are ready, we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful to be here. And I'm just thankful for what you've already done this weekend. And I've just seen you move in these first two services. And um, I pray that our, our eyes would be really open today. Our ears would be open. I pray that you'd be really clear speaking through me. I pray a voice would be strong. I pray that as a church we'd gather around your word and let your spirit speak in profound ways that shape our lives, not just for today, but for the future. Uh, what we're talking about today is so profound, God, and I just pray that you would open our eyes and ears to see it in a new way, and specifically what you're saying to us, what you're speaking to us by name. We pray that in your name. Amen. Hey, well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for the last uh, couple months called Sent Into the Danger. And for those of you who are brand new at Rocky Peak, this is actually, I'm looking at like the second season in a long-running drama that, uh, that's uh, studying the movement, the early movement of Jesus as described by a man named Luke. He's a doctor uh, uh, in the book of the New Testament book of Acts. And so uh, if you were here last week, last week we came to one of those critical events in all history of the movement of Jesus, not just, uh, not just in the early church for, for all time, 
And it's centered around the Apostle Peter. If you're here, you may remember this. Peter is on a rooftop. It's about noon. He has this uh, crazy vision from God that's very confusing at first. But after he, he gets done with the vision, God speaks to him. The Holy Spirit speaks very specifically. And he says, Peter, go downstairs. There are three men waiting there for you. Uh, and do not hesitate to go with them. And what blows his mind is when he gets down, they're Gentiles. And we saw last, last week that Peter operated in this spiritual paradigm that, that God loves Israel, he loves the Jews. The rest of the race is just sort of extras. You know, they're, they're not really part of the story. And so this whole story of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, um, this, the Messiah coming, it's, all, it's an Israeli story. It's not a world story. And we saw last week that with this vision, God begins to break in a brand new spiritual paradigm that know that the reason God separated Israel from the rest of the world is so he'd have a people through whom he could reveal himself uh, and one day bring the Messiah, then who would be, bring the whole world kind of under his, his leadership again. And so we watched last week as Peter has this vision, kind of confused. Uh, he goes with these three men, they are uh, they're messengers from a Roman military officer named Cornelius, who's uh, like 30 miles uh, up the road at the major Roman city of Caesarea. He's had his own vision. And in his vision, the angel tells him, send for Peter, also called Simon. He's staying in the city of Joppa on the seacoast, 30 miles to the south. Uh, you can find him. He's staying with a man named Simon, who is a leather worker. And so they come down. Peter goes with them. This is blowing his mind. He never hangs with Gentiles. He's now traveling with Gentiles to meet a Gentile who's had this vision from God. And when he gets there, uh, what's going to happen is just going to blow his mind and change the whole history of the movement of Jesus. And so we're going to pick it up today when he gets there after his initial introductions. Uh, he says what he has to say. You know, it's, hey, you know, this is against the rules. It's illegal for me as a Jew to even be hanging out with you, but God told me to come, so here I am. He's going to start launching into his message now. We're going to pick it up today in chapter 10 in verse 34 of Acts. <coughs> so if you have your Bibles, you're, you've got your uh, apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn on. And so in verse uh, 34, Peter begins to speak and he says, um, I now realize, and what he's about to say is revolutionary. To us here in the 21st century, it's going to seem like, duh. But to Peter, what he's about to say is mind-blowing. The brand new spiritual paradigm that's just come to him two days ago through this vision of the sheep being Lord from heaven we talked about last week. So he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now again, to us, we're like, well, duh. <laughs> to Peter, growing up as a Jew... Never eating with Gentiles, never having Gentile friends, no interest in sharing the message of Jesus with Gentiles. Why would we share the Messiah with Gentiles? For Peter, revolutionary statement. And he says, verse 35, but, but God accepts from every nation the one who fears him, comes under his leadership, in other words, and does what's right. And so he begins his message, and he's going to talk about Jesus and the story of Jesus and all he says, you know the message of, that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. In other words, that there was a, a way to be made right with God, a peace with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, who is Lord of all? He's learning not just Israel, he's Lord of all. And he said, you know what happened throughout the province of Judea. So remember, if you look at your map there on the handout, that, um, that Caesarea is where Cornelius is at. It's only 50 miles from the Sea of Galilee. 
It's 70 miles from Jerusalem. And we know from Luke's account in his you know, Gospel of Luke, uh, volume one of the series, we know that uh, people came from much farther distances than that to see Jesus, to hear him teach and heal. And so the word of Jesus at some level uh, was uh, known in the area. Not that maybe the details, but you've heard some stories. And so he says in verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. And now see the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. To 37, you know what happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee with the baptism that John preached. So if you remember the gospel of Luke, all the gospels that, that start, uh, well, not all three or four, start with the, uh, so the baptism of Jesus is kind of the start of the story, essentially. And, uh, you know, John the Baptist comes, they start with John the Baptist, so that when Jesus comes, you remember what happened when Jesus was baptized, remember he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, remember that? And that empowered him for his ministry, and so Peter's just going to go back and say, let's talk about the ministry of Jesus, it started with John the Baptist, remember what John said, and this is very important for today, John said, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize in the Holy Spirit, so in the big picture story the Bible is telling, in the Old Testament, the prophet said one day God would come to his people. He would come via his Messiah. And when the Messiah came, he would be anointed with power. And the spirit of wisdom, the Lord, and power and might and all would be on him. And it said that the, the Messiah would pour out his spirit like streams of water in a dry desert on his people. So he's not just anointed by the spirit, he's going to pour out his spirit this is going to uh, kind of usher in this kingdom of God, not a kingdom of man, the kingdom of God, Messiah will reign. That's part of the story. In Peter's mind, what this means is that when Messiah comes, uh, he will pour out his spirit, just like he did on the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost, he will pour out his spirit on Jews, not Gentiles. That's not part of the story. They're the extras in this story, right, at best. All right, so anyway, so Peter is going to begin to review that message, the story of Jesus. And he said, well, you know, uh, in verse 3, he said, what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John the Baptist, John preached, <coughs> and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, in other words, at his baptism, and with power, and he went around doing good. And I love that description of Jesus. He just went around doing good. And as followers of Jesus, that's our calling, right? Under the power of the Spirit to go around and do good, to make life a better, make the world a better place. So he says, went around doing good. And of course, the way Jesus did that was often with his healings. He says, healing all those who are under the power of the devil. So whether it was physical healings or exorcisms, uh, you, we read that, you know, we know that in volume one from Luke. And so God was with him. And so he says, we're witnesses of everything he did in the, the country of the Jews. Like, these aren't just stories we've made up. I mean, we were all there. We saw it. Uh, and then they ended up, he, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he caused him to be seen, and we are witnesses. And so um, the six, remember, he, he had traveled here to meet with Cornelius with six other Jewish men, believers. They may have all been witnesses of the resurrection. We know that, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that over 500 people saw Jesus uh, at one time, after his resurrection. These seven men here with Cornelius may have all witnessed it, but I think Peter is especially referring to himself as an apostle because this is one of the unique roles of the apostle. They had to be with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist all the way through life, death, and resurrection so they could give a first-hand account of his life and death and resurrection. So in verse um, 40, it says, God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen, 
And he was not seen by all the people of Israel, but by witnesses that God had already chosen, you know, especially the apostles. And he says, by those of us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So remember in Luke 24, volume 1 of Luke, he describes these kinds of scenes. And so we know the resurrection was real, it was literal, it's physical. He had a real body, you could touch him, you could eat and so on. He eat and drink. And he said that he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as what? Judge. judge. Can we say that again? As you know, judge. Often we don't think of Jesus as judge. We think of him as maybe Savior. We might think of him as Lord. We don't think of him as judge. But one thing that Jesus said, and then the New Testament very consistent on this, that one day every person who has ever lived, past, present, or future, will go one-on-one with Jesus to be evaluated. We've been given the gift of life. What did we do with it? We're going to be evaluated. We're going to be uh, judged in that sense. And so it doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're still going to get personal audience. So uh, anyway, he says that's a big part of the message of the early church is that, that we all will go before Jesus. And of course, the problem is we have all sinned, haven't we? We've all, that we, none of us are as good as our image, right? We're all good at image management, right? Don't you all fix your hair before you go out during the day? It's not how you really look. It's how you want people to think you look, right? And we do that with our souls, too. And so we, we, it, we manage ourselves. We all know ourselves, that we're a lot worse than we come off. And we all know what we've done. And so trust me, when you're in front of God, you, that's going to come up, right? And so... Um, and so here's the, he's going to share with them the good news, that we're all going to stand before the judge, but I've got good news for you. And he says, uh, in verse 43, all the prophets testified about him that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. And so yes, we'll go before the judge, but there is a way to be forgiven, to receive what I like to call total amnesty for all crimes committed against the king. Um, and so... It's this point in the message that Peter at this point would normally start to what I call land the plane. Like he, he shared who Jesus is, his life. I mean, Luke's just giving us a summary here, right? This is, I'm sure he's teaching for much longer. But he's giving us an outline. And so he shared about Jesus and John the Baptist and his life and of Jesus and his miracles. And I'm sure he shared all that stuff and his death and resurrection. And he shared you know, some more about what's happened you know, after Jesus left. And so he's sharing this thing. And normally, at this point in his message, and we've seen this through Acts, Peter would land the plane. And the way he would land the plane is he would say, so what are you going to do about this? And he'd say, so you need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust him for your life so that you can be forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you need to repent and be baptized and be uh, forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how his teaching would go, right? This is how he'd wrap it up. But it's really interesting because I'm not sure Peter, as even, even at a place in his life, he is able to land the plane. Remember, this whole concept that Gentiles can be, un, be, can be cleansed, can be not, it's only two days old. He's had this vision for two days. Somewhere in the last two days, he's figured this out. But he is still feeling very nervous even coming into this house. And the first thing he says when he enters the house of Cornelius is, you know it's illegal for me to be here. So, uh, so he's kind of nervous. 
And in my own mind, I'm not even sure Peter is able to give the invitation. Because his normal invitation would be, accept Jesus into your life, follow Jesus, be baptized into the movement of Jesus, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. But that's not part of the narrative that he knows. The narrative goes, the Messiah will come, anointed by the Spirit, pour out his Spirit, in his mind, on the Jewish nation. And so I'm not sure that Peter is even prepared to give an invitation at this point. In fact, I'll show you why I don't think that in just a minute. Because what's going to happen is at this point in his message, when he should be, uh, should be wrapping it up, God steps in and says, awesome job, Peter, take a seat, I'll take it from here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, mind-boggling, the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentile believers who are hearing the message, God can see their hearts, and that they're believing, and God pours out his spirit. And this is mind-boggling to Peter and the six men who are with him, Jewish believers, because that's not how this story goes. Gentiles can't get the Holy Spirit. We take it for granted today. But in their narrative, it's like, that's not how this story works. And we're going to see, it's at this point, they are blown away. In the Greek, the word that's used is exist in me. They are astonished. They are shocked. You've got to be kidding me. You say, well, how do they know the Holy Spirit came on them? Well, because God did the same thing that happened in Acts 2 when the Jews received first of all, that the Holy Spirit came and they began to praise God in languages that they'd never learned. Now, in the Greek, it says, you know, in languages, and here it'll say tongues, which is that's how you talk about language in ancient times. Now, it's interesting. Quick sidebar on this. Now, I know, you know, we all come from different backgrounds, and I don't want to go into great detail, but I want to point this out again. We've talked about this earlier in Acts. There are only four times in the entire book of Acts, over 30 years of church history, that we're told that the Holy Spirit comes on people and they speak in different languages. I want you to catch this. It never happens to an individual who receives Christ, at least not reported. Um, it, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen other time. I'm saying it's, as far as we know, recorded. It only happens four times. It always happens to a group and catches. It always happens to a, a new group of people coming to Christ who the Jews don't think can come to Christ. They're, they're outsiders. So in Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes the first time on the Jewish believers, the upper rim. Acts 8 is when the Holy Spirit comes on the Samaritans. The Jews are going, they're not full Jews. They can't, they can't get it. The third time is here when he comes on Gentiles. And the fourth time will be in Acts chapter 19 when the Apostle Paul runs this group of followers of John the Baptist who's never even heard of Jesus, they think they're saved because they're following John the Baptist. They go, no, there's Jesus, and then it happens to them. So only those four times. And so anyway, so, so we're going to watch what happens, and this is what's going to completely blow their minds. And so right in the middle of his, his talk, while Peter was still speaking these words, 44, the Holy Spirit comes on those who heard the message, and the circumcised believers, remember uh, remember, um, he had traveled, uh, Peter had traveled with six uh, Jewish Christ-following brothers. So th- that's what he's talking about. He says um, that uh, the circumcised who believers who had come with Peter were astonished, blown away, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even on Gentiles. This, like, we never saw this coming. And because they heard him speaking in languages or tongues and praising God. And so Peter says, hey, wait a second. Well, surely... 
No one can stand in the way of their being baptized. You see, before this happened, Peter's like, I don't know how this is going to go over trying to baptize Gentiles. When you baptize someone, you baptize them into Jesus Christ. You're baptizing them into, remember, Christ means Messiah. When you baptize somebody, you're baptizing them into Messiah. How can you baptize uncircumcised, non-law-following Gentiles into Messiah? You see, that makes no sense. But as the Holy Spirit comes, he goes, wait a second. The Holy Spirit, promised by the prophets of old, is the ultimate sign that you're part of the kingdom. And if God has accepted them, who are we to keep them out? And so if they've been baptized in the Spirit, we need to baptize them in water into the movement of Jesus. And everyone can see the logic. And so there, none of these brothers are going to push back. I mean, they just saw this happen. And so he says, they receive the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. In the Greek, it says, some days. And we'll see this throughout Acts, one of Luke's favorite phrases. Describe a short period of time, you know, not just like three days, but some days, you know, probably not months, not a whole month maybe, but, you know, some, some days, whatever, whatever that means. So anyway... Uh, so I'm sure that during that time, you know, Peter is educated. Right? Peter is probably sharing with them uh, his experience with Jesus and talking about Jesus and his miracles and his teaching and, and about his life and his death, his resurrection, about maybe the movement of the early church in Jerusalem, how the Holy Spirit came there too, how they were persecuted, how it spread like crazy. I'm sure he's bringing them up to speed uh, these days that he's, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you're a brand new believer. You got the apostle Peter. It's like, you're just like, hey, well, I got another question, you know? So it's going to be an awesome time as they're just kind of learning about Jesus and how to follow Jesus. But now Peter has to go back to Jerusalem. And they're all going to think he's crazy. None of these believers have had the vision. Have you ever tried to share something that God has shown you with someone who hasn't seen that? Uh, you're kind of crazy, you know? Like, you want to find people that they do understand. Like, oh, yeah, I get it. He's like, he's going to go back, and they're going to hear about this. I mean, news is going to uh, travel fast. I mean, you know, Snapchat. I mean, everything, everything's going crazy. <coughs> Everyone's going to hear about this. <coughs> and so when he gets back there, the Jewish believers are like, are you crazy? Like, what are you thinking? You went into a house of Gentiles? You ate with Gentiles? What is going on? Really interesting, just sidebar then, again, those of you who are from more, uh, more conservative or maybe more like a, a Catholic background, notice again as we go through this, there's not one sense at all, well, it's Peter, you're the Pope, whatever you say. They're going to go, are you crazy? <laughs> and they're going to start criticizing him. Um, so anyway, so let's pick it up. So the apostles, verse, chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea, they heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter, he gets to Jerusalem, um, the circumcised believers, and that's all the believers were circumcised, all Jewish, they criticized him and they said, what are you thinking? You went to the house of uncircumcised men, you ate with them? Like, what, what, wait, what, what's going on? And so Peter is just going to tell them the story. And we're not going to take the time to read it all, but this is what he basically said. Hey, listen, you know, I was on my rooftop, had the vision come down, the Holy Spirit said go down, there's these three guys, go with them. I went with them, met a guy named Cordelius, he had his own vision, angel told him to send for me, I came back, I told him his story, as I'm teaching, the Holy Spirit falls, okay? That's what he's going to say. Now, when you get to verse 15, I'm going to pick up the storyline again. And so as he's telling him, so he's at the point now where he's like, as he's sharing about Jesus with the Cornelius and his family, he's at that point, and he says, 
as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them just as he had on us at the beginning, you know, Acts 2. And he said, as I was standing there, watching the Holy Spirit come, watching them praising God in languages they've never learned, crazy. I'm like, deja vu. This is nuts. Oh, it's crazy. What's going on? He said, all of a sudden, this is what came back to my mind, the words of Jesus from Acts 1, before Jesus left. And he said, he said uh, I remember uh, verse 16, what the Lord had said, that John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized in the what? And he's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I thought it was just for us Jews. Jesus knew all along. Amazing. And, and he says, that's what Jesus was talking about? This whole thing is so much bigger than I ever imagined. And he's going through a major spirit, a spiritual paradigm. It's like his Jesus just got bigger. He's not just the Lord of Israel. He's Lord of everyone. And so his, his, his worldview is changing. And so... Um, he says, so, you know, so he says in verse 17, so what am I going to do? He says, if God gives them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Not my idea, it's God's idea. By the way, if you stand in God's way, it's your, you know, your problem. And uh, verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections. They began to praise God. So that even to the Gentiles, unbelievably, God has granted repentance that leads to what? Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, conversion 101. I said, whenever there's a conversion, two things always happen. There's faith and there's repentance. So the flip side's the same coin. Faith turning to Jesus. Repentance turning away from our sin and rebellion. Remember that? So it's interesting. When Luke describes salvation, sometimes he'll say that people believed in Jesus. That's faith side of the coin. Sometimes he'll say repentance. And so here he says that God has granted them repentance that leads to life. It's his way of saying salvation. They're in, you see. No salvation without repentance. We trust and we obey. Right? All right, so, so, anyway, so this is an amazing event. It's going to change the whole course of the early movement of Jesus. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to kick off our next season of Acts with a, a series called Going Global. And once the early church begins to understand this new paradigm, there's like, well, man, we got a world to take for Jesus then, you know? It's like, if this is for everyone, we need to get out there. And we're going to watch them get their mind expand from just like Israel. It's like, hey, this is a global message. Everyone's got to know this message. And so we'll see that. Um, but this is not the end of this issue, I promise you. This whole issue of what does it take to be saved? Uh, can, how can Gentiles come into the kingdom? Do they need to be circumcised and start following the Jewish laws? In other words, basically convert to Judaism to, and then trust in Jesus to be saved? This issue is not going to go away. This is one of the biggest issues, not only in Acts, but in the New Testament. And it comes up over and over again because it was the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues in the New Testament times. And so we'll see it again in Acts 15. This issue will resurface, and they're going to have to get all the church leaders together to discern God's uh, vision for this. Uh, and, and that's going to be a very important thing. So we'll come back to this topic later when we get to Acts 15. But uh, for today, I want to focus on this topic of this gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what this whole thing is about, right? This whole narrative is about. And so there on your note sheet, <coughs> you have a section that's called The Spirit 101, The Ultimate Sign. And I want to start with one big picture principle that kind of flows out of this passage and then come back and ask two very specific questions for your own life. And so let's jump in. Number one. The, the, uh, the point there on your note sheet is that the gift of the Spirit is God's signature of salvation. 
Like, how do you know if you're saved? And what we're going to see today is what, what Peter is saying is that if you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit when someone comes to Christ is the ultimate like signature of God on their life that you're mine, you belong to me, you've been converted, you've, you've been born again, something has happened, new creation, um, you've, you, you are one of mine. Now you can see it, first of all, in this, in this account today, can't you? You can see how important the coming of the Spirit was. Um, that it's at the point where the Spirit comes that Peter and his six Jewish friends are blown away. It's interesting, when he had the vision from heaven, rise, Peter, kill and eat, don't call anything unclean in chapter 10, that didn't astonish him. That confused him. When the Holy Spirit said there are three men downstairs, follow them, and they turned to be Gentiles, that surprised him, didn't astonish him. When the Holy Spirit came, that astonished him. Why? Because as I've shared earlier, this is the story the Bible's telling that God is one day coming back to his people to restore all things, to heal this mess that we call life, to bring a new heavens and a new earth, to unleash his people and his spirit, to bring righteous judgment to the earth, to turn all wrongs to right. New creation is coming. And he said that when that, when that process started, it started by the Messiah who would be anointed by the spirit and pour out his spirit. The pouring out of the Spirit is the ultimate sign that the kingdom has started. And it's the ultimate sign that someone's part of the kingdom is they receive the Spirit. And that's why for Peter and his friends, they were blown away. Because if you've got the Spirit, you've got everything. If you've got the Spirit, it means you're right with God. If you've got the Spirit, it means you've been accepted into his family. If you've got the Spirit, it means that you are part of his kingdom. How can we not baptize you if you've got the Spirit? You see? It's the gift of the Spirit. It's the ultimate signature of God on our lives that we have come to know King Jesus, that we've been born again, (coughs) that we've been converted, that the new creation has started in us. Now, (coughs) you see this taught throughout the New Testament. And I want to just highlight, take you through a couple passages to help kind of tease this out. So there, you know, she, the first one's in Romans 8. <coughs> now, in Romans 8, in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul is laying out this big picture story of salvation. We're the rebel race. We're created to be like God. We rebelled, became unlike God, evil, corrupted. Uh, but in spite of that, God's come after us through Messiah to rescue us, uh, forgive us of our sins, give us the spirit to transform us, change us from the inside out so we can be like him and then he will recreate all of creation, so we'll rule with him. This is a story he's telling in Romans. And he's getting pretty far along in this story, in chapter 8. He's talking about the coming of the Spirit in our lives. And he says there on your note sheet, he says, those who are, and I want you to circle these next few words, those who are led by the Spirit. I want you to circle that because it's very important. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He says, how do you know if you're a son or daughter of God. He says, well, by definition, if you're being led by the Spirit, then you know that you are a son or daughter of God. That's the signature. Now, what does Paul mean when he talks about being led by the Spirit? We're going to talk about this more later, but I'm going to hit a little bit here. That um, 
that often when we think of someone being led by the Spirit, we often think in terms of specifics, maybe decisions that are made or directions. For example, when the Holy Spirit said to Peter in Acts 10, go downstairs, three men, don't hesitate, go with them. We say, okay, he was led by the Spirit, right? Right, and that's true. And that's one way the Spirit leads us, so we'll talk about it more later. But, but when Paul, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase being led by the Spirit, that's not usually what he's talking about. What the Apostle Paul is talking about is that when a person comes to Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We give our lives to Christ. We talked about that in Conversion 101. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to supernaturally change us from the inside out. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about that. And, uh, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he gives us new love for God, a new love for people, but he also gives us a new sense of right and wrong. Things that used to seem right now seem wrong. Things that seem wrong now seem right. It's like a new moral compass. And so what Paul says is when the Spirit comes in our life, he begins leading us away from what I like to call the dark side, from those old desires that are destructive, evil, that lead to death, right? The Bible calls it the flesh, right? That the Holy Spirit leads us away from the dark side. He leads us to the light, to what's life and peace and joy and so on. Are, are you with me on that? So when he talks about being led by the Spirit, he's not usually talking about specific, hey, go down there, talk to these three men. He's talking about listening and following the leading of the Spirit in our life, to leave the old life, you leave the anger, you leave the bitterness, you leave the hatred, you leave the sexual morality, you lose the drunkenness, you leave, you leave the occult, you leave all these things behind, and you follow the Spirit into this new life, life you were designed to live, to be transformed, to be like Jesus, that life. And so that's what he says here, is those who are led by the Spirit, that you sense in your life, this new calling of the Spirit, this new desire for what's right and true and good, those are, he says, that's your, that's the, they're the sons of God, no one else. If you don't have that, he says, you haven't been born again. And he goes on, and he says, then he goes on, he says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Now, what's he talking about? We often sing that song here, No Longer Slaves. That song comes from this passage. What Paul is talking about is before a man or woman comes to Jesus, whether we're conscious of this or not, we are, in the deepest part of ourselves, afraid of God, or we should be. Because the reality is, we have all committed high treason against the king. We've all rebelled. And we're all going to have to stand before the judgment. And so when you put those two things together, this is not a pretty picture. And so he says, before we come to Jesus, that whether we're really conscious of it or not, if God were to show up, we'd be very afraid. And he said that we're slaves of fear because we're under judgment. He said, but when someone comes to Jesus and we're forgiven, there is no longer judgment. And so God becomes our father and he loves us. And now his arms are around us. So we're no longer slaves to fear. We're now, we know we're loved by God, by the father. And so the Father may discipline us, and that can get scary if you've ever gone through that. He may discipline us, but it's not out of a hatred, it's out of a deep love, wanting for the best. And so, so Paul says that you've not received a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, you've received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry out, Abba, which is the Aramaic word, a little child, would use to talk like an Aramaic similar to Hebrew, a little child in Jesus' day would talk to their father. It's like the equivalent of our papa. You can even hear it. Abba, papa. Hear that? It's like, in many languages, it's like this. Papa, Abba, things like that. 
And so uh, the word for father is av, and so Abba is like Papa. And so he says that when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, and it's the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of sonship, and that we recognize intuitively that we've gone through a radical change of relationship, that we are now no longer slaves. We're sons. We're daughters. And so he says, he says um, and he calls out Abba, and then he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now catch this, what he's saying, this is a supernatural thing. He says, when you come to Jesus, deep inside of you, in the deepest part of you, the Spirit is telling you something has changed. He is telling you that you have a new relationship, that God is Father now. And it's intuitive. It's interesting, in the church I grew up in, which I'm so thankful for, that if I were to ask the question growing up, how do I know I'm a Christian, they would say, Read your Bible. Have you given your life to Jesus? Yes. Well, then it says you're a Christian. Then trust it. Just believe it. Nothing wrong with it. It's true. You know, if you have given your life to Jesus and the Bible says it, and it's true. But what the Bible also says that they failed to say is that the Holy Spirit will tell you directly. And so what happens in the life of the believer is the Word and the Spirit come together. That what the Bible is saying, what the Spirit's telling, it's all meshes. It's like the Spirit, the Word starts coming alive because the Spirit is telling you what the Bible says is true. And so now inside of the deepest part of you, you know something has changed. You know you've entered this new relationship. So what Paul is saying is the mark of salvation, God's signature on someone's life, is the gift of the Spirit. It's the gift of the Spirit that tells you that you're His. It's the gift of the Spirit that empowers you to live this new life. It's the spirit that gives you this new perspective and the power to live it out. Hey, that's the first passage. The second passage is Ephesians chapter one. And I put it in the New Living Translation. So Ephesians one, Paul says, when you believed in Christ, when you first came to Christ, he identified you as his own. Now, interesting, in the Greek, what it says is he put his seal on you. So in ancient days, when you were sending a letter, you wanted to make sure it was from you, you'd put your signet ring in, like in the wax, you'll seal it. Or if you're shipping things overseas or something, you, on your cargo, you'd have a stamp, your seal, your personal seal, and it, this belongs to me. What Paul is saying is when you came to Jesus, God put his seal on you. This one belongs to you. But what is that seal? He says that seal is the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, that the gift of the Spirit in our life and our experience of the Holy Spirit is what Paul calls our down payment, our deposit. In Greek, it's the word arabon. It's um, God's promise that he will pay up everything in the future. So for example, if you were to go out today to buy a used car, and maybe it wasn't from a lot, maybe it was from a private party, you came up and said, I really love that car, but I need to get my money tomorrow. I gotta go to the bank, and so can I, I'll meet you at five tomorrow after work and get the money. He very likely would say, that sounds great. Why don't you give me a, what? A deposit. Why? Because the deposit shows you're serious. So you may be ready to check for $500 or $1,000, what it is. This shows that you're serious. It's like, a, it's part of what you're going to get when this person comes back. It's a promise that he is coming back. And so what Paul says is the Holy Spirit is God's deposit as Arabon in our life that our experience of the Spirit, that this is like a foretaste of the full amount that we're going to receive when he comes back. And it's his promise that he is coming back, and he will pay up. 
and everything that's coming in the next, that he's promised about the next creation, it's all true. Your experience of the Holy Spirit is a foretaste. It's like your sip of the deeper cup that's coming later. Are you with me on this? You follow this? So you can see how incredibly important the Holy Spirit is. This is why when the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles, they were so blown away. Because this means that. If they get the Holy Spirit, they're in. If they get the Holy Spirit, they're part of us. If they're, a, if they're the Holy Spirit, they're part of the movement of Jesus, the Messiah. If they're in, it means anyone can come in. And they are blown away. Because the gift of the Spirit is the ultimate signature on our lives. That we belong to God. That we are sons and daughters of God. That we've been born again by the Spirit. That we've been saved. That we've been converted. That a new creation has happened. It's not just to be taken just by faith. It is the evidence. Something has happened. And it's the experience of the Holy Spirit who's going to transform us and lead us and guide us. This is a key to everything we've been talking about the last four weeks. So four weeks ago, we talked about conversion 101. What happens when a person comes to Jesus? The natural, the supernatural, organic changes that happen from the inside out. And then we talked next week about transformation 101, that God's vision for our life is not just to be forgiven and saved, it's to be transformed radically, deeply, to be like his son, the people we were created to be. And then last week we saw the way that God transforms us is often through breaking through new spiritual paradigms, the renewing of our mind that allows us to be transformed. Men and women, do you understand this? That's the Holy Spirit that is the engine behind all three of those. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes for conversion. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us power for transformation. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes for new paradigms that sets us free. Without the Holy Spirit, we are dead in the water. We are like a sailboat without a sail. Without the Holy Spirit, we are sunk. It's like many people have said, the book of Acts, its technical name is Acts of the Apostles. You know, not added by Luke, but added later on. Many people said it shouldn't be called Acts of the Apostles. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because if you study Acts, it's like on every page. The secret to the movement of Jesus was the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus said, don't leave home without him. Because when he comes, he's going to give you power to be my witnesses. So it's the Holy Spirit that transformed them from self-absorbed, who's going to get the corner office in the kingdom disciples, into these men of amazing love, laying down their lives for one another, sharing their possessions. It's the Holy Spirit that gives them passion and courage and boldness to stand up to the same Jewish high court that two months earlier had arrested and executed Jesus, and to say, you are the ones who put him to death. You missed the mark. You missed the Messiah. You killed him. It's the Holy Spirit that gave them wisdom to administrate the early church. It's the Holy Spirit that caused these believers to grow in their generosity, to share even their possessions with one another. It's the Holy Spirit that's allowed them to have the courage to stand up under persecution. You take the Holy Spirit out of the story of the early church, there is no early church. The Holy Spirit is the life of the church of Jesus. He is your life. He is my life. And without him, we are nothing. So that leads... <laughs> that leads to two very important questions as I begin to land the plane. <laughs> so here we go. So the Spirit, two important questions. I've got two questions, short questions, powerful, profound, 
and they're searching. And so let's, let's jump in. The first question is, are you filled? Are you filled? It's really interesting to me that as Luke describes the movement of Jesus and the early church, he often uses this expression to describe these first followers that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So think with me where we've been already in Acts. Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had used the terminology, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Luke doesn't use that terminology. He says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Same, same event, but just terms of... So, so Luke really likes this idea of filling. They were filled, like a cup, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, when you get to Acts chapter 4, Peter's before the Sanhedrin, Jewish high court, and we're told that he was filled with the Holy Spirit that gave him boldness. After that court case, Peter and John go back and report to the early church in chapter 4 the threats of the authorities, and they pray for boldness, and the whole place was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're filled with boldness. You go to chapter 6, first major challenge of the early church, the widow's not getting fed uh, properly, and they said, uh, choose seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit. The first man that they mentioned was Stephen, who goes on to this incredible career of teaching, preaching, miracles, first martyr. Peter is described as, I mean, uh, uh, Stephen is described as filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on, the apostle Paul, as we follow his ministry, he'll be described as filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're not really sure if Luke came up with this terminology, filled, or if Paul did, because they're close friends. Um, but Paul also uses this terminology. It's there in your note sheet. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, do not get drunk with wine. <coughs> so we've talked about our freedom in Christ the last few weeks. And, but one of the things that the Bible's really clear on <coughs> is that we're not to come under the influence of any foreign substance. So in other words, if you go to the doctor, it's fine to go under the influence, right? Like, uh, with all the voice issues I've had, I've had so many endoscopies, colonoscopies, trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, <laughs> and there comes that moment, there comes that moment where they hook me up to the IV, and I'm like, oh yeah, baby, here it comes. Like, I love, I love going under. I just, something about it, I love, it's like, they get, like start at 10, count backwards. I'm like, I know I'm only going to hit to eight, but I'm going to hold on as long as I can. And he's like, no, 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 and then, you know, and then when I wake up, they want to get me out of there. I don't want to leave. I just want to, this is like the best sleep I ever get. I love that, right? So if you're in the hospital and they're putting you under and they're operating, whatever, that's great, right? But as followers of Jesus, we should never be under the influence of any foreign substances other than Jesus because it compromises our judgment, and our decision-making leads to bad things. Just a quick sidebar on this. You know, my assumption is very soon in California that we will be able, uh, that marijuana will be legal. Right? That's my assumption. I hope it's not true, but it's my assumption. And, uh, and so when that happens, I know that believers are going to be come, coming to me and say, well, it's not legal, illegal now, so is it okay to smoke? And I just want to give you my quick take on this. Right? So maybe I'll get smarter as time goes on. But my current take is this, is that, well, No. And the reason is, why do you, I mean, I, I realize there's some legitimate uses from legitimate users for some medical things. Not most medical users, but you know what I'm saying. There are legitimate things. I, I, I know that's true. And I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying that 
for most people, if you, if you light up a joint, the whole reason you do it is not because you like the taste, right? It's like you, you're, you want to get high. You want to take the edge off, right? And so the point is, it doesn't matter what it is. Like if you're a believer and you say, yeah, I drink sometimes just to take the edge off, that's not a good thing. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm using alcohol to cope with my worry and stress. That worry and stress is there for a reason. It's to drive you to Jesus to learn how to deal with worry and stress. And if you always dull your senses with alcohol or something else, you never grow up spiritually. Because you are now, you're just staying like a, a emotionally an adolescent. Because instead of going to Jesus saying, how do I deal with worry? How do I deal with stress? How do I deal with fear? I'm going to take the edge off myself, and I'm going to deal it by self-medicating. You see? And so what Paul is saying is he says, I love this. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Like, it's fine to drink wine, but don't drink so much you come under the influence. He says, because that leads to debauchery. It leads to bad things. He says, instead be what? Filled with the Spirit. So you see the analogy? He says, don't drink so much wine that you come under the influence. Drink deeply of the Spirit so you're under the influence of the Spirit. So now that you get the terminology of Acts, and we see this is the secret of their whole power of of living life on mission in the early churches, being filled with the Spirit. The question I have for you is, how filled are you? And this is not at all like a chastising thing. I just want to challenge you to think, like how filled, as you read these accounts, is it representative of your life? When you read the word, is the word coming alive and speaking to you? When you come to church, do you feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to you? When you're in worship, do you experience the presence of God? Do you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life to turn away from the old and and follow me to the new? Are you growing as a follower? Are there more fruits of the Spirit, his love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness? And is that, is that growing in your life? Like, are you filled with the Spirit? Or would you say, not really. I more am like a sipper when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I, I don't drink deeply. I've got this Holy Spirit sipper cup, you know? And from time to time when I'm really down, eh, take a quick little swig to get me back. But, you know, I can just sipping. Or maybe you'd say, I'm not even a sipper. I am bone dry, man. I'm like, uh, I'm like the desert. You know, like Isaiah 44, we read today, you know, the streams in the desert. I'm like the desert without the stream. I once walked with Jesus. I once was filled. I came to him. He changed my life. But I took some wrong turns and some wrong teaching. Things, things happen, whatever. I'm in a far and distant land, and I am parched. I can hardly remember what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. And so where are you? Jesus said in Luke, uh, volume one of this two-volume set, volume Luke and Acts, he said, if, if you then, though you're evil, you're fallen race, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So here's what I want you to catch. The Holy Spirit is your birthright. And it's not for some special privileged few that the Holy Spirit is God's signature on your life, that you've been chosen before time, that he loves you, he's got a purpose for your life, that there's no longer fear. And he's got a plan for you and he wants to transform you and empower you. If you're not experiencing that, you're not living. And so it's more of a challenge to say, if you're not filled, um, then let's ask him. Let's go back to stage one. 
let's go back where we started this thing with faith and repentance. And let's ask Jesus, hey, I have not been filled. I have not been living filled. I am barely getting by. Would you fill me? Okay. Second question is, are you following? Now, many of you know that this is like our kind of our unofficial motto here at Rocky Peak. It just happens sort of organ- organically. It wasn't intentional, but it's kind of our motto that we listen and follow. It's what we do, that as far as if Jesus is the key to the Christian life, we listen and we follow. Um, we listen to the Spirit, we follow where he leads. And you know, often when we talk about listening and following, I think we often think in terms of specific direction, like I talked about earlier. So Peter, go downstairs, three men, go with him. We think in terms of Cornelius, this guy down the coast, named Peter, uh, send some messengers. He'll bring back a message. And that definitely happens. And as a church and as followers, of, we need to learn to listen. Um, about three or four weeks ago, I had some good friends, and they um, went out for dinner at, uh, in Santa Monica for a celebrated birthday. And they parked on Santa Monica Boulevard, and behind them was an Audi, and behind them was a BMW, and that's how you knew it was Santa Monica. And uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, four young men, uh, inebriated, uh, came barreling down Santa Monica Boulevard at 70 miles an hour. Uh, they hit the back of the BMW that was parked, no one on the side bounced off, sheared off the left rear end of the Audi that slammed into my friend's car who had just gotten in, he and his wife, and they had not put on their seatbelts yet. And they heard that crash and turn around just in time to feel the impact, and then this Mustang pulls up and screeches to an end right next to them. And they're shaking, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, we're all still here. And the four guys jump out, two of them take off. A restaurant owner and his sidekick, because it's L.A., they chase him down. And <laughs> they catch him, they nab him, and exactly what I would have done. And they bring him back. And, and so now the police are there, and they're taking the report. And, of course, my friends are shaken up, right? And the wife, she says that she's there. The Holy Spirit tells her, go talk to those men about me. She said, I don't want to talk to those men. I don't like those men. I'm mad at those men. And she said, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let her go. And so she went up with those men sitting there, and she said, you know, I want you to know it's a horrible thing that happened. She said, but I want you to know that Jesus has forgiven me of everything, and I want you to know I forgive you. And she said, and he can forgive you too. And one of those young men, the tears began to come down his cheek. And I don't know the end of that story or where it will go, but I love what she told me when she told me the story. She said, Mike, this is what we do. We listen and follow. Amen. And I was like, that is, that is who we are as a church. Amen. That is our, our motto. We listen and we follow. And I believe God wants to do amazing things for this church, and he wants to do amazing things in your life. It all comes back to listening and follow. And so we talk about, are you following? Yes, sometimes it's specific, and we think of it like that. But here's what I want you to catch. This is the bigger point. That when Paul talks about being led by the Spirit or following the Spirit, he's usually not talking about specifics. That doesn't happen every day. He's talking about listening to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis calls us out of the old life and into the new. And so, for example, on your note sheet in Galatians 5, Paul puts it like this. He says, live by the Spirit. In other words, you've, you've been born again. You've received the Holy Spirit. Now live by the Spirit. Follow Him. And he says... Uh, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, your old life, the dark side, the flesh. 
And he gives some examples. He said the acts of the simple nature are obvious. Things like sexual immorality or impurity or debauchery. They're like um, occult things, like idolatry, witchcraft, you know, Ouija boards, horoscopes. Like, be done with that. Seances, you know, fortune telling. Like, that's the dark side. He says, now he moves into relational zone. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. You know, I'm not angry. You made me angry. No, he didn't. It was a fit of rage. It's from the dark side. Um, and he goes on, a selfish ambition, dissensions, you know, we can't get along, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He said, I, want to, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, if this is your lifestyle, this is who you are, it doesn't bother you, he says, you're not part of the kingdom. Why? Because you're not led by the Spirit. And it's those who are led by the Spirit that are sons of God. And if there's no evidence that you're being led by the Spirit and you're fine living like this, then that hasn't happened to you yet. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, like when we're living by the Spirit or following the Spirit, this is the kind of fruit that he bears in our lives. It's things like love and joy and peace, you know, with God, with one another. There's new patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, since we live by the Spirit, you know, we've been born again by the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us, what does he say next? Keep in step. And so here's what I want you to catch. There is a direct connection between are you filled and are you following? The way that you get filled is by asking to be filled and then by following. Every time you follow, you drink a little deeper. Every time you stop following, you start getting a little thirstier. And you do that for long enough, you end up very thirsty and a long way from home. So we're going to go into a time of worship right now, and I want to kind of lay out what's going to happen. I'm going to actually sing a couple songs and kind of go before God with this message and see what he wants to do. We need to tell things. The first song, uh, we're going to be taking the offering as we normally do, and, but we're going to be singing that song, uh, No Longer Slaves. Because I want to start today with the celebration of this reality, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit not of fear, it's a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. It's a spirit who tells you that you are his son or daughter, that his arms are around you, that he loves you. And that's where we need to start today. And then we're going to move into a song, just calling on the Holy Spirit to come and fill this place. And, uh, and when that comes, I'll come up and we'll have some prayer. And we'll go before the Lord as a church and ask him to fill us as a church, to fill us individually in just a fresh way. So we're going to go and let's go ahead and stand up and worship now. We want to be a church that is filled with your spirit. Not any weird way, just a naturally supernatural way. We want to live lives that are empowered. We want to share the message. We want to be the people of courage. God, we want to put off our anger and our bitterness and our deceit. We want to put on the truth, what is good and true and right. We want to grow to be the people we were created to be. We want to be a force for good, like you or wherever you go. We want to listen and follow your specific guidance or more naturally, normally, just the daily leading of our lives of leaving the old behind, moving into the new creation. And so God, we pray that you'd pour out your spirit in deeper ways in our church and not just today, but in the coming days and weeks and months that we would learn more and more how to listen and follow. And as we do, we'd become more filled. And as a result, we'd be transformed. We'd become a light on a hill, an impact in society as we share the message that there is a God who is real, 
and who loves you. And though there's judgment over you now, there's a way to be forgiven. There's a way, a way to be healed. There's a way to be restored. And there's a way to discover your true purpose and calling in life. And not just for this life, but for the next. So we pray you would anoint us with your spirit that we might lift your name high, that many may come and join us as followers of the movement of Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. As we go, just two things. First, as always, if you need prayer, over to my right against the far wall. We have a prayer team we'd love to meet. And then like I mentioned in the message, that in two weeks, not next week, next week we'll be wrapping up this second season of AXA into the danger uh, as we watch uh, the Apostle Peter and James get thrown once, in, once again in jail as they enter the danger. And so, uh, so be here as we wrap up the series next week. And then the following week, we're kicking off season three of Acts, and it's called Sent Going Global. And once the, new, the followers of Jesus understand it's not just for Israel, the Holy Spirit begins to stir them, hey, we got to share this message with the Roman Empire. We need the whole world to know this. And we're going to watch as God begins to empower them to go global. And so I'm looking forward to this next season. Until then, may God be with you. May you be listening and following. And as a result, may you be filled deeper and deeper with the power, the life, the beauty, the joy, the freedom of the Spirit of God that is your birthright. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.